Psalm chapter 9, let's get into it here tonight. Um, I want to start by reading, let's read the first eight verses. It's about 20 verses, so I want to read a section at a time and go through it. So let's just read the first eight verses and uh, set it up actually with the, the introduction. And uh, if you ever notice there in your Bibles, like this starts by saying the chief musician to the tune of death of the son, a psalm of David. And I know I've had people ask me before, is that actually part of the psalm or did someone else put that in? That's actually part of the psalm. That's actually part of verse one. And so uh, we'll set it up with that kind of introduction that's given there even in the psalm. So let's read down to verse eight. Uh, to the chief musician, to the tune of the death of the son, a psalm of David, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their names forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. You have destroyed cities. Even their memory perish. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. Now, again, notice at the beginning here to the chief musician. And remember, these were psalms. They would sing these psalms and worship to the Lord. They did that absolutely to worship him. It was also a way for them to teach the word of God and to teach truths found in the Word of God, and to get it into their hearts, to get into the hearts of their children, and so forth. I think that's all even why it's very important in the worship songs that we're singing, that they're biblically, biblical, they're, they're, so we can sing in, in spirit and truth. And believe it or not, there's a lot of songs written today that they really don't line up with the Word of God at all. And the beautiful thing about the Psalms is these were God, this was God's Word written, and it was written in a way that they would sing these things in their Hebrew language unto the Lord. And so, you know, the word goes out to the chief musician. Then notice what it says to the tune of Death of the Son. And, you know, it, right off the bat, you're thinking, well, that, that's probably a pretty gloomy tune there. You know, Death of the Son. Is this a Metallica or, you know, something? What's, what's going on here? And um, obviously the Death of the Son, biblically, that can imply a lot of things. We know Jesus, the Son of God, came and he died for our sins. We just partake of communion and remembrance of that. In this case, though, in context of this psalm, it's real clear that this is speaking to those that are in rebellion against God. In Ephesians, it says outside of Christ that we are sons of wrath. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were sons of the devil. And we didn't become sons of God. We didn't become adopted sons of daughters of God until we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's through faith in Him that we're adopted sons and daughters of the Lord. And so this is a psalm that speaks much about those who reject Christ and they die in their sin. They die rejecting the Lord himself. And in a way, as we go through this psalm, we'll see that it's full of prophetic overtones, speaking of Christ's coming kingdom, which we talked a lot about when we were in the book of Revelation. We've even talked about it in the book of Genesis on Sunday morning. And there's references, references here to the time of Christ's coming and his millennial rule on earth, as well as the new heaven and earth that will come. And this psalm also prophetically teaches about the judgment that is coming upon the nations of the world. 
And in some sense, these judgments have already come because there's been a lot of nations, there's been a lot of city-states, there have been a lot of tribes and cultures and so forth that have come and gone. This psalm even speaks of those that they're not even in our remembrance, uh, ones that we don't even know of. They've been completely forgotten, and it's referring to those that absolutely died in a rebellion of <clears throat> the living God. We'll see as well in this psalm, though, as it speaks of these things, this psalm is full of hope. This psalm talks about fearing God. This psalm talks about taking refuge in the Lord. And we got to understand with the word of God, yes, it declares the bad news that we are sinners. We're under condemnation. We're under a judgment. But it always does that in light of bringing the good news. There is a way out. There's a way out through humbling your heart. In the Old Testament, the way out was through putting faith in the Messiah that was promised after the fall of man. And as Christ has come and has fulfilled those prophecies tonight, there is a way out. There is a way out of the condemnation that we are under because of our sin. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so we got to remember that, especially when we read Psalms like this, when you read prophetic books like Ezekiel and Isaiah, Jeremiah, that talks about all this destruction and so forth. Always remember those things were prophetic books. They were written before all that unfolded. And throughout those books, there is a plea and there is a cry with Israel. There's a plea and a cry to the Gentiles to repent. In light of these things coming, repent. And in the psalm, in light of these things coming, if you haven't put your faith in him tonight, it's time to repent. And if you have repented, then we have reason to rejoice in our Lord and the fact that he is our refuge. And so let's just start looking at this here, uh, or continue to look, the, the death of the son, and then it says a psalm of David. And as with many of the psalms, David is the, the author, the one that wrote this psalm as the Holy Spirit moved upon him. Oftentimes he's referred to as the psalmist of Israel. He's also one who was the king of Israel and a prophet there in Israel. As again, many of these psalms have prophecy in them that was fulfilled by Christ and much prophecy that's still to be fulfilled by Christ. So he says here in the first verse after that introduction, he says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. And indeed, Listen, our God is worthy of praise every day of our life and every moment of our life. I mean, he's the one who gives us our life. And if he's the one that's given us life, and even right now, he is the one sustaining our life. Make no mistake about it. He is the one that is holding all these things together. He's the one that is holding all the atoms in your body together, all of the cells in your body. He's the one holding this whole universe together. Go read the book of Colossians. It speaks of that. The book of Colossians even speaks of microbiology that no one had a clue about when it was written a few thousand years ago, and he is the one holding it all together. And then on top of that, in our sin, he's the one that died for us, as we've already spoken of many times, and defeated sin and death to make that way of eternal life for all of those that call on him, to make that way of forgiveness. And absolutely, he is the almighty God, as this psalm declares, above all things, and he is worthy of our praise Every single day. Maybe you came here tonight because of the, and there's circumstances in your life and you feel like, you know, you say, I really don't feel like praising him. Maybe you don't feel like it, but he is worthy of it. That's why we've got to put our feelings aside and say, I'm going to praise him anyway. And it's amazing when we do that, when we say, I'm going to put my feelings aside and praise him anyway, and I'm going to do what he has called me to do, how all of a sudden those feelings oftentimes begin to change as we get our hearts aligned with the Lord and we delight ourselves in the Lord despite whatever we're going through. 
And I can't encourage you enough to be a person that praises Him daily, that gives Him glory daily. And notice here, He says, I will praise you, O Lord. And then notice what He says next, with my whole heart. He doesn't say just with my heart, but with my whole heart. And I believe that the psalmist is writing this in light of the fact that there are times when we keep parts of our hearts from Him. There's times when we regard sin in our heart, in the sense of, I know He's my Lord, I know He's my Savior, I know even this thing is wrong, and I should bring it before Him, but I'm going to make a little provision for it here in the corner of my heart. Have any of us ever been guilty of doing that before? I mean, we're all guilty of doing that at times. And listen, the psalmist is saying, I want to give you my whole heart, as we've been called to worship Him with our heart, mind, soul, and our strength. And I can encourage you with this, that when we do hide those things from Him, and we say, I'm not going to give Him my whole heart, it's kind of like taking a plant and putting it into the darkness and saying, I don't want to bring it into the light. I want to hide this over here. You might be able to enjoy that plant for a day or two, but if that light doesn't get, or if that plant doesn't get light, what's going to happen to it? Eventually it's going to wither. Eventually it is going to die. And in worshiping the Lord with our whole heart, it's that picture of saying, I want to come into the light of Christ with all that I have. And in doing that, coming before Him, in humility. Sometimes it's even coming before him saying, Lord, I know I'm regarding the sin in my heart and in my flesh. My flesh is in rebellion, is really wanting to make provision for it and has listed all these reasons why I should make provision for it. Am I the only one that goes through this at times? But God, I'm bringing it before you and I'm confessing I'm regarding it in my heart and I want to lay the fact I'm regarding it in my heart before you and ask you to forgive me for regarding in my heart and then I'm asking you to change my heart and it's amazing what happens when we do that when we're just honest with them and I think that's the only way we can worship him with our whole heart is by being truthful and honest with him because I don't think I'm capable of worshiping him with my whole heart on my own because of my flesh nature and so it's that humble heart that I think is the only heart that can really worship him fully Lord here I am a sinner here I am, an open book before you. Come and grant me grace and mercy and meet me where I'm at. I want to come into the light. I love 1 John 1, 6 and 7. But if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's just being honest with the Lord. Here I am, Lord. And then notice here, I will tell of all your marvelous works. And not only is this a psalm where the psalmist is declaring these things, but this is instruction for us. Again, we're called to praise Him. We're called to praise Him with our own heart. Jesus talks about the first command, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And absolutely, we need to know. We don't just look and say, wow, you know what? Isn't that awesome? David was willing to tell all of his marvelous works. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to tell others of the marvelous things that the Lord has done. And indeed, He has done marvelous and awesome and incredible things. And I know we're living in a time where we're being pressured to be ashamed of the marvelous things that our God has done. And I would just pray that we don't fall victim of that pressure and go over on corner and keep our mouth shut and become ashamed of how awesome and good our God is. 
And so let's take this to heart. Let's be found a people that aren't ashamed of telling others. Notice, I will tell of all your marvelous works. This speaks of communicating those things. And there's nothing more marvelous than the cross of Calvary. And to really communicate the marvelous things that he did, we got to tell people why he did it. He did it because we're sinners. And he did it because he loved us to make a way of salvation. And part of that marvelous work is if you humble your heart and call on him, he'll meet you where you are at. And he's done that in my life, and I want to share that with you. That's what our world needs to hear more than anything else. They need to hear of the marvelous works of the Lord. And this thing about your own life, all the things that the Lord is doing in your life, and sometimes maybe you're not aware of it because you're not stepping back and considering it. Again, just the fact that you got breath in your lungs right now. Your heart's beating. Everyone here is clothed tonight. Everyone looks fed here tonight. I mean, rain fell when we were in our wickedness, and rain has fallen in our righteous stance before God through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of light sent from above. And God's people should be a people that are declaring these things. Verse 2, he says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And again, we're told in the scriptures to rejoice, to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And there is always reason to rejoice. Again, we got an enemy of our soul and even our own flesh. And we're living in a world that is very ungrateful and can stack a whole list of lies of reasons not to rejoice. But if you're in Christ Jesus tonight, you have all the reason in the world to rejoice. You're washed, you're forgiven, you're cleansed. And on top of that, God has said, I'll work all things for good for those who love me and are called according to my purposes. There's reason to rejoice. Amen. And as a result, he says, I'll sing praise to your name. And again, we already see him saying, I'll praise you. Now he says, again, I'll sing praise to your name. Just practically, I can't, you know what, we, we, we need to be encouraged in this individually and even collectively. You know, when we gather together for church like we're doing tonight, Lord willing, like we're doing Sunday morning, and we come in here and we're singing, this isn't like the entertainment part of the service. It's not the time where, you know, it's not like the pregame show or like, you know, the opening act. We got to really remember when we're coming together it's to sing praise to God. And I think it's easy because just of the, the culture we're in so, and so forth, to, to gather together and, you know, we're, we're coming in and maybe we're more focused in on, you know, how the music's being played or we're coming and thinking about things of the day and so forth. And I just, it's my prayer, you know what, for myself and us for a church that we could grow and singing praise to God. And in the awareness when we're coming together, gathered together in this place, we're coming together. And what's the thing unifying us here? It's Christ Jesus, that he's our Lord and Savior. And, and we can collectively have our focus on him. And when we are lifting our voices, we are directing it towards the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I really do believe that we're living in times where if they continue on the way that they are, I really believe that we're going to grow in praise and worship unlike we ever have before. Because usually in the fire is when your praises get the most intense and so forth. Notice he says as well, I'll sing praise to your name. And notice here, almost high. And let's remember that too. There's none higher than him. So he's deserving all of our praise. Verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. 
And we do have enemies. Listen, we, Satan is an enemy. Oftentimes, the spirit of this world, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you're either for Christ or you're against him. And, and before we came to Christ, we were enemies of the Lord. And so there is a, an aspect in this world that are enemies of Christ and as Christians, that makes them enemies of our walks with Christ. I know sometimes the greatest enemy I deal with is my own flesh. And praise God, the day is coming when there will be a deliverance from that. Will this be transformed to a body that doesn't have those sinful desires that wage against the Lord? I think in the context here, though, David is talking about that those enemies of Israel that pursued under influence of Satan himself. And notice what he says here, when my enemies turn back, he doesn't say if they turn back, or I hope they'll turn back. But he's writing this prophetically, knowing that Listen, the day is coming when every enemy of the Lord is going to fall back. And notice he says, he says here, these shall fall and perish at your presence. And absolutely, the time is coming when all of those that are enemies of the Lord that reject the cross of Calvary, they're going to give an account for their life. Whether that's at the second coming of Christ, when these nations are going to gather together against Israel. And we see these things unfolding and the setup for this in our world today. And Christ is going to come back and deal with them. Or just the individual. The scripture says it's appointed for man to die once and after death, the judgment. And if you're not born again and have a new life in Christ, we can't inherit the kingdom of God in our state outside of him. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why he's saying they shall fall and perish at your presence. And the perishing he's speaking of, and this psalm gets into it later on. It's talking about an everlasting death outside of the presence of the Lord, but under his wrath. And that's a, that's a frightening and a fearful thing. Verse 4, he says, you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat down on the throne judging in righteousness. So again, the psalmist here, David is beginning. He started off with this praise and adoration of the Lord. And now he's beginning to pray and worship the Lord in light of these enemies that are against them and the fact that there is a judgment upon them and the fact that these enemies are not going to overtake them. And in this, he speaks of the Lord sustaining him and he's rejoicing in it. Again, you have, you have maintained my right and my cause. And you know what, as I thought about this, as I thought about the Lord maintaining us, and indeed he does, he sustains us, and that's a glorious thing to know that the Lord's doing the work. I also thought about the fact, though, that maintaining involves maintenance. And sometimes maintenance hurt, does, hurts, doesn't it? I mean, that's involved cleaning stuff up and tearing things apart. And, you know, there's something called preventative maintenance and so forth. And we have a God that, you know, sometimes gets in and prunes things up. I mean, when you're pruning a tree, it's for the tree's own good, isn't it? You're cutting things back and so forth, but that's always done to bring forth fruit. And so I think as the psalmist is rejoicing that God maintains us and he sustains us, we also got to understand that includes those times when he prunes us and he takes us through trials. And maybe tonight you're going through a trial as a follower of Christ. Listen, rejoice because God's doing maintenance in your life and that's a glorious and a good thing. He also says here, you sat on the throat judging in righteousness. And absolutely, God is going to judge the nations, and he's going to judge individuals in righteousness. 
and uprightness. It speaks of later on in this psalm. He's going to judge in truth. And with that in, in, in mind, we've got to recognize, again, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm a sinner. If I'm judged before God based on my own track record and my own life, and he's going to judge me in utter righteousness, I'm utterly condemned. I'm going to be utterly damned to hell. But the good news is that Christ Jesus, again, conquered death, and in him, I am 100% saved to the uttermost, and I am perfectly righteous positionally before the living God through what Christ has done. And that is a glorious thing. Listen, if it weren't for that, we're all in trouble in this place tonight, outside of that. And, and this, why, this is why there cannot be enough emphasis on the fact that we need to put our faith fully in Jesus Christ. Because if you make a Jesus plus a little bit of you, that little bit of you is going to mar that requirement of perfect righteousness. And this is why salvation Again, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Him alone. And when you start adding the little extra things, you're going to find yourself adhering to a false gospel that won't save you. As much as your flesh maybe thinks, i got to do a little bit. No, He has done it. Trust in Him. Because if you bring any of us in, or any, if I bring even a little bit of me in, I, I'm not going to measure up to that righteous standard. And as much as maybe you convince yourself you can, you won't be able to. I don't care what it is, you'll fall short of it. Even if your mind, you've convinced yourself that you can even keep your own law that you set up, you can't. You just can't, but he has. He says, you have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. The word nations here can also be translated heathen as talking again about those who have blatantly rejected the Lord. He says, the Lord has destroyed them and this is also speaking of destruction to come. And notice here, you've blotted out their name forever and ever. Blotted out, I think it's implying that once they die, as the scripture says, it's appointed the man to die once, and after, the after that, the judgment, it is a picture of a, an eternal hell, an eternal separation from the living God. There is no purgatory of atoning for your sins after this life. There is no second chance. This is the valley of decision. And on one hand, the psalmist here is rejoicing in the fact that these enemies of God are going to, again, give an account for their life. The psalmist also talks about, again, deliverance through fearing God and taking refuge in Him. But this is also absolutely put forth as a word of warning to those that would harden their heart against the living God. And there are so many today that are doing that. Verse 6, O enemy, destructions are finished forever. You have destroyed cities. Even the memory has perished. And again, we can look at God's word. We can look back at history. and think of so many nations, so many cities, so many peoples that are no longer around. Uh, so many that... We don't even have memory of. And no doubt in the midst of that, there were remnants of believers. But Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And there's many that go through it. Narrows the gate that leads to life. And there are few that find it. So many that their, their memory, you know, no one even thinks of them anymore. I think a flip side of this that is encouraging, especially in the midst of all this judgment that we're reading about here, you know, the thought of being with the Lord forever 
And then having in your memory all those that rejected him who you loved. That's kind of a frightening thing. But notice here, even their memory has perished. And we get assurance that in the new heaven and the new earth, God's going to wipe away all of those tears and so forth. And I think it's really clear in Scripture that the memory of those that are perished, it seems to be clear that that's going to be taken from us. Verse 7, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. And this is where the psalmist is getting into comparing, again, the mindset of rebellious people who in the back of their mind think they'll never die, or even after this death, they have wishful thinking that they're going to enter into an eternity that is going to be bliss for them, when that's just not true for those that reject Christ. Their memory is going to perish, as he said in verse 6, but on the flip side, the Lord always has been, is, and always will be forever and ever and ever and the midst of that, notice he says, and he's preparing his throne for judgment. And that's being said, serving those in rebellion, warning. There's so many people running around the world today, I think especially in the West. They got this idea, and I'm going to talk more about this. Hopefully I'll, I'll be able to get here to it tonight. They got this idea that God is there in heaven to be prayed to, to appease them in their fleshly pursuits here. Oh, will you pray for me because A, B, C, and D. And yes, we can bring all things before the Lord, but the only time they're ever interested in the Lord or God is when they think that He is there to serve them and their temporary purposes and their aimless conduct, as the Bible calls it. And they think that heaven is a place that's being prepared for all the good people, which always includes them. And that's what God's doing right now. And they don't understand or they harden their heart to the truth because the Holy Spirit does convict all of sin, righteousness, and judgment that God right now is preparing His throne for judgment. And we're closer to that than ever before. Because this was written before His first coming when He came and took the wrath to us to make a way of deliverance from that judgment when he came lowly and on a donkey. But he is coming back on a white horse to judge the nations. And boy, there's so many people that, I mean, there's even pulpits that if you brought this up, I would get the hook right now and be dragged out. And they say, well, God's a loving God. All, you know, in the end, love wins. That's just not biblical. Listen, man's rebellious. We're filthy. We're vile. We're in rebellion against the living God and God could have wiped us off the face of the earth you know right from the beginning right with man's sin but in his love he made a way of salvation through sending his son and that is the only way out and outside of that we are under judgment and God is preparing his throne for the judgment and in the meantime there's opportunity for men to repent but if they reject him and they shun him then that judgment is coming and we better recognize that this isn't popular today. This isn't popular teaching today. This isn't spoken of because it's not politically correct. It doesn't make people comfortable. and They don't leave church necessarily feeling good, but they leave, you know what, being disturbed. And this should disturb us, amen? I mean, we should rejoice in Christ that we're free from that judgment and are the righteous of God. On one hand, we should leave here praising God and thanking Him. On the other hand, though, that this is a wake-up call. 
And we need to be awakened. Verse 8, he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the people's and uprightness. Again, continuing on this theme of judgment. Verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of troubles. And notice here in the midst, here's praise, here's judgment. And then in the midst of this, we get this life preserver thrown out. Yes, there's judgment, but the Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge of, the, of troubled. And so yes, there's a judgment coming, but right now, You can take refuge in Jesus Christ. You can get under the righteousness of the Lord to know that he took the wrath and the judgment due you upon himself. That's a glorious thing. That's salvation and hope in the midst of man reaping what he sowed when he said to God, I'll be my own God, I don't need you. You're a liar, I'm not going to die, I'm going to be like you, that's why you don't want me to eat of this tree. I'm going to listen to this fallen being who's a liar over you and praise God in this this is a word for us here tonight as followers of Christ are you oppressed tonight do you feel oppressed at all tonight in the midst of a a world spiraling 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 there we go out of control my tongue's being oppressed I mean, in these days that we are living in, of, that, that are perilous, there's times I feel oppressed, man. I'm, I'm hearing about this stuff that's going on that is just utterly ludicrous. And provision for sin and so forth. And, and it just grieves the heart. And I'm thinking, how can people be so stupid not, not wanting to say it in a, in a, a manner of trying to be superior, because I, I said, I'm no genius up here. But, it, but it's oppressing to the soul. I get where it says Lot was vexed daily by the activity in Sodom. I understand that. Sometimes this is the, this the oppression for my own, my own shortcomings. You ever just get depressed because of your own behaviors? And you say, why, do, why does this stuff keep coming out of my mouth? And again, we know the enemy just is a master oppressor. Oh, but the Lord is a refuge. And a refuge in time of trouble. And it's the Lord saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and lay it at my feet. Lay your burdens before me. Let me wash you with the word. Come and worship me and and, and let me fill you afresh with the Holy Ghost that out of your heart will flow torrents of living water. And the last time I checked, torrents of living water wash things out. Don't we have a glorious Lord? Take refuge in Him. Verse 10, for those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Again, to know Him is to trust Him. Praise God, he never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Again, declare his deeds among the people, and notice this recurring theme. Sing praises to the Lord, and then this recurring theme. Again, declare his deeds among the people. The people in here, yes, even more so the people out there. People are impacted when you declare 
the deeds of God. People are impacted when you talk about the goodness of God. When you talk about what the Lord's doing in your life, not to glorify yourself. And there's a lot of that in the church. A lot of people think Jesus is the platform that they're supposed to stand up and parade themselves upon. But declaring what he has done, there's so many people today, they, they've never heard the gospel. And I'm not talking about the Tim 40 window, I'm talking about a Tascadero. I'm talking about the Central Coaster, they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're fooling yourself, you think, well, you know, they got Christian radio and all this stuff. They can turn on Christian TV. There's people all over our community that have never heard the gospel. And many of them, of what they've heard, it's completely a false gospel. And it's amazing just talking about the Lord. Sometimes we're saying, you know, Lord, open a door. Sometimes we just got to start opening that door ourselves by just talking about God and the Lord. What the Lord's doing. I think it was yesterday, I was at, soft, we were doing all-stars now, softball, and someone said something, and it was something about my grandma or something passing away, and I, I said, yeah, she passed away, and they're like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that, and I go, it's okay, she's with the Lord. Okay, let's get these kids doing this over here. Listen, it was declaring the thing of the Lord. And it was just, just a little, like, okay, that's a seed there. We got death, but here's the Lord. I mean, we got to look for those opportunities. Verse 12, when he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. And this is speaking again of God avenging and bringing vengeance upon those enemies of his and even their pursuit of those followers of the Lord. I don't forget the cry of the humble. I think of 